0: Hello and welcome to Microtech Universe or Maximum Transmit Unit podcast or Talked with users. So it's still up in the air to decide which one it is. And today, after months of preparation, we can finally have episode number two. Uh, Eight hour difference didn't help to organize this, but here we are with uh, one of our, I would say, brightest personalities from the other
1: side of the pond, from the US, Kevin Myers. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the invite to come uh, record this podcast. This is fantastic.
0: Yeah. So maybe then a short introduction,
1: uh, who you are, what are you doing? Sure. So my name is Kevin Myers. I'm a, a co-founder of IP Architects and uh, Network architect. And uh, a, a brief history on me. I've um, uh, been in networking for, uh, I guess, 20, 22, 23 years, somewhere somewhere around there, and um, got into Microtik uh, a while ago, which I'm sure we'll get into and, and talk about. And uh, we run uh, one of the largest uh, microtech consulting firms in the world. We, um, we do all kinds of things with Microtik. And and with networking in general, um, but we're very well known for uh, some of the work that we do and we publish with Microtech. So that's my background.
0: So the, I think the first association for me with you were the orange TikToks.
1: Yes, the orange TikToks. And yeah. uh, those there's a fun story behind those because they um, we I think you and I first met, I believe it was in 2013 in St. Louis, was I believe the first time we met. At the U.S. MUM, and we brought the orange Tic Tacs because at the time we were building a TAC, a Technical Assistance Center for MicrOTIC, uh, to help support phone support and things like what you would what you would see with other networking vendors, and it was something that we were building to support. And as we went to the get ready to go to the MicrOTIC MUM, we said what what swag should we bring? What what should we uh, what should we have? And we talked through a bunch of things, and we talked about the product that we were going to sell, which was the MicrOTIC TAC. And we're like, oh wow, that sounds really good. We should get the tic tacs, and then the rest is history. And unfortunately, we built a life size micro tic tac container with the orange and the blue, with the micro tic tacs, and uh, it got destroyed when we shipped it back from uh, from St. <laughs> Louis to Denver. So now we only have the little the little tic tacs. In fact, I even think I have a.
0: So yeah, the orange tic tacs and orange shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, I have one, but I was not able to locate it in for this podcast, sorry. Yeah,
1: everybody <laughs> thinks we're Dutch, we're actually not Dutch, but we, uh, no, I, I, the school that I went yeah. to, the colors were orange and blue. So. You
0: would, tr- you would probably blend in a Dutch football fan without any problems. With uh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, every year, starting from 2013, I think your team become bigger and bigger. So how many people
1: are there already? So I think we're around 20 or so right now, and we're hiring more engineers this year. Um, we went from uh, really two people, three people, uh, into uh, over 20 now that are scattered throughout the world. Uh, we have people in Europe, people in South America, people in the US, um, and, and offices there as well. Um, so it's been a lot, of, a lot of growth for us in the last 10 years. Uh, it's been a very, very interesting, uh, interesting journey
0: mm-hmm so but uh, okay microtech was not around all the time so probably you started your networking uh, stuff with something else or computer stuff so how did you get in i also know that you have other car- career in a law law enforcement <laughs> that's
1: right so yeah i, I once upon a time I, I i was actually i was a cop and um i've always been in networking um so that was that was uh it was it was part-time for me uh when i was a cop but the um my background goes really before professionally, all the way back when I was very little. Uh, when I was five or six, we had a TI 99 computer in the early 80s that did TI Basic, and that's where I first learned to code. And at the time, I was just typing the what I could see in a programming magazine. I wasn't really, you know, coming up with my own code. Um, but we had a tape recorder, cassette tape recorder, because we didn't have disk drives, and we saved the programs on a cassette tape. And this is 1983, 1984, something like that. And so that's where I first sparked my interest in computers. And then that got into x86 in the later 80s when that became very popular and a 2400 baud modem to connect to the internet. And um, and that eventually got me into the late 90s, which is when I started IT professionally. And I started working for a small company doing uh, jack of all trades where I was working on. We had um, uh, Cisco routers and switches and we had Windows computers and, and a bunch of different things. We even had... Uh, Novell, Novell Netware. And I think we had some, uh, some Token Ring, a little bit of Token Ring left. So I got in right at the end of, of Token Ring and the beginning of Ethernet and all that. But the um, journey that took me into getting into networking uh, very heavily wouldn't be until about, I guess, 10 years into my IT career. I spent about 10 years as an IT generalist working on uh, computers and servers and a little bit of networking. And then I started working for a telco and that's where I really learned more advanced networking because up until then, I mean, I, I thought it was very impressive to be able to, you know, put a VLAN on a port, you know, until then. But then I learned subnetting and routing and BGP and MPLS. And so that and that's what ultimately got me into Microtik, actually, because the company that I worked for, the telco that I work for, found MicroTik. Um, and they brought it in. And that's when I first started going to Mums and, and doing the Microtik training.
0: So how far apart was the first exposure to microtik and actually first user meeting or did it came more He was the very same
1: that way? was very close because once we started using microtik the the company wanted us to go to the MUM and to go uh, to do the training and so that all happened i think within a year of discovering microtik so it was very very close from that time frame that we went off to uh, to go do the training and interestingly enough, I had never really intended to start a company, but when we went to the training, we found out after we completed our Microtech certification that you could apply to be a consultant and have your name on the consultants list. And so we did. And at first I thought, you know, maybe I'll make a few extra dollars, you know, to uh, at the time I, my, my car was very old. So I thought maybe I'll get it. I'll be able to buy a newer car okay. and make a few extra dollars. And um, so that's what I did. And suddenly I got all these requests coming in and, hey, we have Microtech routers and we're in Spain and we want you help migrating our data center. And we have, we have Microtech routers and we're an ISP and we want your help building a, a Microtech core. And so I realized very quickly that, you know, this was a very unique opportunity to really do something um, that was very different than what I was used to doing, which was going to work every day and working for somebody else.
0: What was your first training class? Who was a teacher?
1: So that was with Linktechs with with Dennis Burgess. I met Dennis and his team in St. Louis in 2013, and that's where I went and did my very first MicroTech training.
0: So you did with MicroTech only train the trainers, right?
1: Right. So you and I, I didn't do train the trainer until three years later, when uh, I think I took the class from you in 2015. In Miami. I think we were down in South yeah. Beach, and we, we t- I took the class there
0: with all the hurricane warning. Yes, day. exactly.
1: With all with all yeah. of that, and it was actually it was it was it was pretty awful because you guys chose a hotel that looked over the beach and all the palm trees <laughs> and the drinks, and so we sat for a week learning microtic training while we stared at the beach and the palm trees. So I I yeah, know that was on purpose that you made that choice.
0: And and every every evening I I, I gave you additional tasks to make your life harder so you cannot go. Relaxing the beach in the evenings. Exactly. Yeah. Now, currently, I can say you that uh, emails from IP architects uh, have a special treatment here in office. It's not just a regular email. That means that you actually have to like already have your morning coffee, already have mental preparation ready just to dig in into the emails from you or from few of your colleagues because you go deep, guys. When you when when you actually write something to us which is not so often uh, i just checked because you write only those things that you are 100% sure as far as i noticed but you really basically sometimes we even have to go straight to developers with the description that you have which is precision that we can uh, if there would be all clients would have such a pre- precision as you guys we would probably end up without job in support well
1: had a little practice in uh in the networking side working with microtech but we try to do our best yeah, well, to get the yeah, well, uh, the things we send to you to be very complete and very inaccurate and have uh drawings and drawings and documents and sub and all of those good things
0: yeah so i i just wanted you to like uh maybe explain to our audience what does it take uh, maybe not going into like really complicated networking setup but to submit a proper properly prepared support tickets to MicroTik and how long this usually takes for you to get a reply or get that fixed from your experience?
1: So I'll, I'll actually tell this story across uh, the 10 years or so, 11 years that I've been working with uh, with Microtech um, because definitely um, as we have grown, so is MicroTik. And so one of the things we noticed when we first started um, working with Microtech is obviously, like you said, when we're recording this, there's an eight hour time gap. Um, and if you're further west in the u s, you know, if you're on the West Coast or you're in Hawaii, something like that, it's even worse. And so one of the things we noticed is that, in order to make it as efficient for us as we could, we wanted to get as much information the first time to you so that we didn't spend a lot of time going back and forth and waiting across the the time gap. So that was one of the first things we noticed is that getting more complete information helped with the time gap. The other thing that we we noticed is that, and this isn't unique to microtik I think other networking vendors do the same thing. Is that obviously you want to know what version did you try this on? Are you on a version that's five years old that's maybe had some uh, some improvements and some bug fixes? So the first thing that we try to do is test it on all the available versions. You know, we'll usually test it on uh, long term. Uh, we'll test it on the development version. We'll test if there's a beta version. We'll test it on the beta version. And so typically when I submit, I think there's some stuff for RouterOS version seven some things that I submitted uh, in MPLS and and a couple other things that we documented a behavior. And so I tried it in all the available versions uh, to see if the behavior was any different so that when you guys receive it, it's okay, we don't have to ask for the latest because it's been tested in the latest and we don't have to try it in another version because that's already been tested. So I think that, that speeds up the process as well. And the other thing that I try to do is do a network diagram because I know being a consultant, People send us networks that are on fire all the time that we'll get into, and uh, and you don't know what they look like, and there's no network documentation, and you have no idea what you know what is what. So I know that it makes it a lot easier and more efficient to to troubleshoot the problem if you have a very detailed drawing to see what do the routers look like what do the switches look like and
0: many times in process of drawing that diagram clients solve his problem himself. yes
1: yes i I've, I've done that as i've drawn the <laughs> diagram out i think one time i was going to i was going to send you guys something and i was like oh i am on the wrong port that's my problem i have the cable on the wrong port but that's yeah. that's my my strategy is to try to be as complete as possible and give you guys the tools to be able to to quickly look at it and realize you know okay this is probably something that we need to look at and it's not a not a configuration. Yeah, Uh,
0: also, uh, sometimes we use you guys. So we we sometimes write a request for you because uh, there's a unique situation for us because we have lots of different equipment around here, but it's all for testing. It's not in actual networks. Uh, So if we have uh, devices from other manufacturers and so on, they are like limited configuration on them, not the actual deployments in which it's very useful to have somebody who has that Microtik other vendor system going on somewhere, and it can so- solve uh, lots of questions. For, for example, the same RFC can be implemented different ways in code, and sometimes when you read it through, you think you implemented it the only right way, but it turns out that somebody, somebody else has implemented the same code before that RFC was finished. And it looks completely different, so the two things doesn't work together. So, so yeah, that's yeah, very,
1: very common, especially in routing protocols. I think that's the one we see: BGP, OSPF. Every vendor um, has their uh, non-RFC compliant things that they like to add to uh, to BGP and OSPF and other things. And so, yeah, but uh, in,
0: in many cases, uh, the RFC was not there yet when Cisco decided to implement something, uh, yep. or Juniper, or some other vendors also. That's uh, true. And
1: then yeah. they may revise the RFC. It may get revised later and you may implement one version of it and they may revise the RFC later. And that's, uh, uh, you know see that all, all the time. But we, we do try to do a lot of interop testing because in networking, there's always gonna be a mix of different vendors uh, you know that are out there. And so making sure that everything works with, with all the different vendors. I think that's a blog series that we started very early was testing MicroTik with different vendors, not only to um, not only to, to make sure that it worked, but also it was easier for people that were coming from different backgrounds of different vendors, uh, you know, whatever syntax they learned. So we kind of wrote a cheat sheet to say, um, if this is what BGP looks like on this router, this is what it looks like in MicroTik. And, and that's been very helpful because I think that makes it easier for people to get into MicroTik if they haven't been exposed to it.
0: There is a big topic going on both on Reddit and also on our forums that we stand apart from the regular implementation of configuration of routing protocols, especially the latest uh, routing filters uh, in version 7 was the like pinnacle of the discussion lately. <laughs> so what's your thought on that one?
1: That's been brought up a lot. I think, uh, in fact, this is even a couple of people on my team uh, asked me to bring up the routing filters because the routing filters are incredibly powerful. As I've tested them, there's things that we can do, um, you can do that not even uh, like a Juniper router, for example, can do. There was one specific case where we were ha- struggling to be able to match BGP med in a range. So it's you know it's very fairly simple to add match a specific value or match a value that's greater than or less than. But one of the things we found that we really couldn't do that wasn't easy to do was match a range of med. And you can do that in the router OS routing filters. And so they're incredibly powerful, but as the syntax is definitely a big change from you know where where it's been. So I think if you were to ask my personal wish list, I would love to see something between the old routing filters and the new routing filters as far as the the syntax. Because I know for me, um, I'm not a programmer. I haven't compiled code successfully since the 1990s on a Unix mainframe. I'm just not a coding person. I'm a routing and switching guy. And I think that there's a lot of people in networking that like the ability to be able to use context sensitive help in the CLI and to be able to not be as, uh, as, as programmatic about it when you're when you're building the CLI. So I think if, if I were to have my wish list on that, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit of syntax change to make it easier to use and some context sensitive help. But I you know the fact that you can do almost anything with it is fantastic
0: maybe the better inline help assistance would yes. help the
1: in the the help being able to, to tab or question mark on on commands. Um, and not just the commands, but the syntax would help quite a bit. That would be a big step. Yeah,
0: because it's in our to do list. But first, we need to kind of finalize uh, development of that part. And when it's set in stone, then we should make a tab because you have to recreate that tab feature every time you change syntax, right, and so on. So yeah. So while we are at the topic, so there's different RouterOS versions around. So we have long term, we have testing, we have stable and we have version six and version seven. What actually are you using? Where? Because for example, like we as a Microtech employees, we are always on the bleeding edge <laughs> uh, everywhere. At home, uh, at the relatives' houses, in the networking and so on. We even uh, sometimes suffer from uh, connection loss in the office because of this (laughs) being on the edge. But yeah, what's your take on it? And what do you maybe would suggest for others to stick to?
1: Yeah, I'll give you the advice that I always give clients that come to us that want to build want to build micro networks. So if we're go from the most stable, if you're going from the most stable, um, we will always recommend 6486 long term. That is, you know, in our opinion, the most stable version of code that is out there right now. So if the if stability and consistency is the most important thing, then 648.6 on long-term is what we'll usually recommend. Um, and I will say that's changing for clients as they get into V7 and they get more comfortable with V7, uh, we're, we have more production deployments than we've ever had and so usually i'll ask them what's you know what is it do you want the new features and the new hardware and then you just want to wait a few months until the long-term version comes out for version seven or do you want to use something that we know is you know 100 solid and the answers vary because um you know a lot of people want they love the new hardware and they love the features of the new OS, but they you know have to decide if they want that for their business so if it's the most critical i always use 648.6 if it is something that we um, you know, can tolerate a few disruptions, then 7.7 stable and 7.6 stable have been generally very good in routing and switching uh, and MPLS and, and things like that. VLAN, VLANs and switching have been good. Um, the, I think all of those have been, have been pretty solid as we've gotten into the later versions of, of 7 code. So when it comes to the office, I think I'm running 7.7 now here at the office. I generally don't run the the beta versions uh, or the RC versions here at the office, except in the lab. Um, the lab is a, a separate room, as you mentioned, where we have racks and racks full of Microtech and a bunch of other vendors and hypervisors, where we do a lot of testing. So the the development lab is you know whatever whatever's new, right? Whatever's the latest. But for my office gear, which is all Microtech, I have Microtech APs. I have the new the new HAP AX2s here now and um i'm crs328 running my core and uh, rb5009 is my edge router here at the office so it's very uh in a very simple branch office type setup because it's not a very big uh not a very big office where i'm at and so i run 7.7 on most of the uh hardware there i also use the l3 hardware offload um because i run ipv4 and ipv6 and dual stack at the office um and so the crs328 i use the l3 hardware offload of that and that works really well that's been working well on 7 for quite a while and um, at home, I uh, unfortunately the users at home get subjected to the worst uh, beta and development because I usually will run. Um, it depends. My home network is very complicated. I'll even send you a graphic of it so you can see it. I've built an overlay network on MPLS so that I have a few APs that I don't mess with. That that's what you know the kids and my wife use to do whatever it is that they're doing, and those are audiences. And so generally, I don't mess with those too much. But I do run MPLS and VXLAN over it, and most recently I built an IPv6 only overlay segment um, to be able to take advantage of the um, L3 harbor offloading and V6 IPv6 that you recently added, um, and then also do VXLAN so that I could build a, um, uh, I could actually build an extension of our data center, which is in Denver, Colorado, and I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. And we use Zero Tier to connect to our data center, which Microtik added recently in version seven, which was phenomenal um, because we have a very close relationship with Zero Tier too. We know the CEO, we know their C-level team, and we we work with Zero Tier quite a bit too. But so I, I built this, actually, it was just a week ago. I have a, um, I have an SSID that's for that's for our company that goes over VXLAN, over native IPv6, and then I have IPv4 and IPv6 on top of it. And it goes all the way to a Zero Tier gateway router in at the house. Which then goes over the internet up to the data center in Denver, hits another zero tier gateway router, which is a CCR two thousand four, um, and then that goes into the data center um, into various things and, and labs and, and equipment that we have set up there. So the home is very much a is very much a mix, and I'm always running beta on something there of whatever the latest latest beta is. So that's kind of the generally the mix that uh, that we tend to use. I think with Wi Fi, that's with routing and switching with wired connectivity. Um, with Wi-Fi, if it's production, I'm usually a little less aggressive because I know as, you know, AX has come out, that's very new. There's, you know, still working through things there. So if it needs to be really stable, um, I'll typically run, go back to the 6 version and run something, you know, not have, you know, all the latest frequencies and the latest features, but otherwise have, you know, pretty good stable Wi-Fi connectivity. But so I, no
0: you know, no I, I... no AX uh, equipment at your house currently? Oh,
1: actually, no. I have two HAP-AXs at the, at the house. I have one in my living room and I have one in the kitchen. So I've actually, the the VTEP for the VXLAN is running on the AX. That That's my endpoint. Okay. So all of my APs are actually routers. I don't build them in a layer two network. They're all routing with OSPF on dual stack in IPv4 and IPv6. And then all the SSIDs are all overlays, whether it's MPLS or VXLAN. So the HAP-AX2 is the, is the endpoint
0: understood so yeah uh we have a uh, big changes in the last few years uh, rotors version 7 obviously the unicorn the unicorn the, yeah the Americans all really love the uh, especially hello Greg if you're watching yeah he even make a, a special uh, mug and t-shirt with the version 7 unicorn and uh, brought Every, ma- every employee, uh, Microtech employee, to the mom and give that present. I, I think I gave it to my wife or something. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's finally out. Uh, then we also have a lots of new hardware coming out. So CRS 2000 series, uh, CRS 500 series, new switch chip series, a- AX wireless. So, what's your favorite hardware change? And uh, why do you like it?
1: Oh, wow. there's uh, it's a lot to pick from. So I'm gonna start with my probably my most, i'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my most favorite as so as a professional network engineer, uh, I think the ccr twenty two sixteen was my favorite because it got us hundred gig capability and it gave us the ability uh, to put something into a network that could compete with the one you offerings from other network vendors that were, 100-gig capable, 25-gig capable, capable of full tables, yeah, capable of, of forwarding uh, in an ASIC. And so that was my favorite professionally because it opened up a whole world, and we have a number of them uh, in prod. And I think as, as V7 matures, we're going to see a ton of them. Um, and it's gotten a lot better over the last, I'd say, six months um, in, in trying to stabilize things. The, um, uh, there is a There's an ISP. Um, that's in Africa, that, is a, um, that, that runs across a significant part of the country. Um, they're a major country-level telecom, and they're running CCR2216s as their BGP borders. And they're also using a different set of 2216s with the NAT hardware offload as CG NAT gateways. And so we're pushing, on any given day, um, we're pushing uh, up to 50 gig of traffic. Um, using hardware offload through those 2216s at, for NAT and for BGP border. So as a professional network engineer, that's probably my favorite. Um, if I start to look at some of the other things that are, that are out there, um, I would say my other favorites that have come out, the 2116, because it has the ability to put an NVMe drive in it and because the container functionality has been recently added, the CCR2116 has recently become my most favorite router. It's what I use for my uh, home router um, and we started to use it as an out-of-band router a lot in a lot of networks because you can build containers. I think somebody has a net install container now that you can do in Linux. And so it gives you the ability to manage the network uh, with you put zero tier on it. You can put the, the net install container. You can put whatever container you want. So the CCR2116, because of the CPU and memory that it has and the ability to do containers and add an NVMe drive is is one of my favorites i think it's great i'd love to see more combinations of routers with drives that you can that you can put in and i would say from uh just from the perspective of 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 value for the the features the 5009 is also one of my favorites because it's being used in home setups it's being used for offices wireless ISPs and fiber ISPs are using it at towers and in cabinets um There, it's an incredibly powerful router for the for the money for what you can do with it. So the five thousand nine is 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 also one of my favorites. And then, um, just from the looks, just from the looks, I love this. I have my I have my HAP AX two here, and I just the looks of this. I love what you guys have done with the branding. I think the logo change that that Microtech has done, all the branding and marketing that has been going on and working on the logo, I think is is fantastic. So just the looks of it, I think the HAP AX two is. There, there
0: is actually a funny story about that logo. Uh, you you will still receive some products with the old logo somewhere, just because uh, of all the part shortages and so on that came very unexpectedly. And we m- might have all the parts except one crucial one for production. And we're just trying to get it uh, for a year, for two years. And when if we will get it, then suddenly we can produce a device, and it will have the old logo, but uh, the logo change mainly was because it was hard to use the old logo on different surfaces and different antennas and everything. We needed something that is much more easier to apply, and so on so uh, this this is this, this is the main reason for logo change, because I know that there are some people that hate changes like that, but uh, yeah, there was technical necessity for, for the change. But uh, there might be, uh, maybe not cases anymore, but there definitely can be PCBs with the uh, old logo still and will be for some good time, a uh, few years maybe.
1: I will always like both but the new logo has grown on me a lot. I don't think I've heard very much negative about the new logo. I think everything I've heard has been very positive. Yeah,
0: uh, but there are some people that die hard for changes and so on and so on. So on. Yeah, Uh, so 5009, uh, it's also one of the controversial products that we have a lots of feedback because basically we try to combine in, as I told you in my video that uh, I was responsible for, uh, we try to combine lots of things in that one small form factor and there's only so much things uh, that you can put in, uh, not only with the size wise and part wise, but in latest products, heat-wise, <clears throat> so lots all the components are producing heat, and that case have only so much uh, power to participate it are away. So, yeah. So, what do you think is missing, or what should be changed in that form factor? Let's say for theoretical RB6011 series or 6009. I
1: think the only, now this is going to be the routing and switching geek coming out in me. Um, as I understand it, the chipset that was used in there has very, very limited layer three forwarding capabilities. If I remember right, I think it's only 100 routes or 200 routes. It's very, very minimal. And I think that what I've seen in the ISP world, because that's where I, uh, I'd i say most of my work is in, is in ISPs, the 5009 is being used at um, at towers at micro pops. It's being you know used out in the field quite a bit, and now that Microtik has Layer three Harbor offload capability, um, I think that having that ability in a 5009 would be my biggest wish list. Is even if the routing table is not very big, even if it's just a few thousand routes, being able to have um, IPv4 and IPv6 forwarding and even MPLS uh, would be I would say that would be my wish list of being able putting a, a marvel chipset into that box that would be able to do those three things because then you you would have everything that every ISP has ever wanted which is v4 and v6 in hardware and MPLS and specifically MPLS PE functionality in hardware you know not just the PE functionality of of being able to send the traffic on but the end cap, decap of you know a VPLS pseudo wire or I don't want to skip ahead to my software wish list but you know something like EVPN, <laughs> SR-MPLS and L2VPN one day. Um you know things like those in hardware, um that's those are rapidly becoming standards for ISPs that they're that they're using for MPLS and even enterprises are starting to use those. You see large enterprises uh, taking some of these protocols um like uh VXLAN and EVPN and putting them together and wanting to be able to to do hardware offload and I've always said and a bunch of people on my team have said that if MikroTik comes up with hardware offload uh, for the encapsulation and decapsulation of VXLAN and for MPLS Layer 2 services um, and Layer 3 VPNs as well, if that becomes possible, it will be one of the most inexpensive, cost-effective network solutions to be able to attach to any network and be able to deliver those services at wire speed. And I I think that's going to be... uh, People are not going to be able to get enough of that. that. That is something that I've always wanted to see and I thought was is a very natural fit for, for Microtech routers and the 5009 specifically because it fits in so many places. It's so small. Um, if I'm working in Alaska and we have a very small enclosure um, at a remote site on a mountain in Alaska that only exists on solar, which is another thing I love about Microtech, being putting it on solar is better than almost any other vendor. And so if I have a solar-powered site in Alaska that I want to be able to put a small router in that can still do MPLS and IPv6 and IPv4 with BGP and OSPF, um, you know that's that that's the real unicorn, right? Like we always joke about RouterOS version seven is the unicorn, but being able to do that is a unicorn right now in networking, for for the for the price point that it's at.
0: But you didn't uh, answer. Okay, you answered one of the features. So hardware offloading.
1: Hardware offload would be my other feature. I think adding obviously adding wireless into it would be you know having wireless like AX wireless would be helpful. Um, I think you guys have already done the Poe. That was one of the things I wanted to see. You've already come out with a Poe version uh, where it's Poe on on all the ports, both in and out. Yes, I saw that.
0: What's your take on Poe in on multiple ports, and our GPAN solution that we are not pushing, but we're trying to like offer people?
1: I so i th- I think that's incredibly helpful because the um, the in in the space that we work in with ISPs and even in enterprises this has become being able to to use uh, POE in and out um, is incredibly helpful because it minimizes the amount of equipment that you need. So multiple in on POE and then being able to pass that through to multiple ports is and that's fantastic because I rely on everything I can POE power in my lab I can so it's funny because I have one rack in my lab of all the vendor equipment, all the other vendor equipment and it all I have you know all kinds of power strips and we sometimes even have to turn off the microwave make sure it doesn't trip the breaker (laughs) and um but with microtik i have a crs328 that powers like half the stuff even the 100 gig switches the crs504s i'm powering with poe even though i don't know that you're supposed to but i am and um the so so more poe capabilities of having multiple in and poe out is incredibly useful i think that that's a huge piece for me and if if you could I don't even remember. Does it support NVMe? I don't even remember. I know that I think there's USB in there, but NVMe in the 5009 would be would be huge having that I know that's a lot to throw into one small box, but that would be huge as well.
0: We'll we'll write that down. Okay, so uh, CCR 1000 series. Are you sad to see it goes away?
1: Well, in one sense, yes, I'm sad, because uh, if you remember, you gave me one of my very first CCR, the very first (laughs) lab equipment we ever had, you gave me in 2015.
0: So there's a story behind it. (laughs) Um, So when we travel to the moms, uh, we take equipment with us. Um, uh, So first CCRs, and usually it's, let's put it this way, it's fun to take it across the customs. So in U.S. you can show lots of papers that this is not officially um, not officially the prod- product. There's no such product. This is development so you can get it through. Not so much in other countries that we travel to. And usually when we travel to other side of the world we love to make uh, several mumps in a row. So usually it starts with U.S. and then we go to the other country. Either it's Mexico or, or uh, uh, south africa south america somewhere and then it's much more complicated to bring equipment and we were on the brink of like destroying that equipment uh on the customs uh bef- because they didn't allow us to pass it then to just give it away because it's uh, like first thing. so leaving the equipment to you guys was actually for us, much more easier time to get to the next destination.
1: <laughs> less less weight to carry,
0: and much less problems in the customs.
1: So um, yeah, so that was when when you guys were were getting rid of your your contraband um, to smuggle into the next uh, the next country. Um, that was uh, I think the CCR 1072 was the first one that I, I got, and that was the first that was the start of our MicroTik lab. Um, we started adding things from there, but yeah it's you know, it's funny because i've I've been around for the entire life cycle of the CCR one thousand series. I, I was around when they were the newest thing in town and everybody wanted a Ccr ten thirty six or ten seventy two or a one thousand nine. and you could do some amazing things with them. We built, uh, I think for one vendor, uh, in fact, I think one of the very first uh, large companies that Microtech referred to us because microtech, we we do a lot of work for really big publicly traded companies. Because um, we have a lot of engineers that have background in those those areas. And I think Microtech had referred one of those big publicly traded companies to us, and they needed a VPN solution um, that would handle hundreds of thousands of VPN endpoints. And it wasn't really possible on a single router. But we finally figured out that if we load balanced it across multiple CCRs, that we could terminate hundreds of thousands of VPN endpoints. And it wasn't very much traffic. It was you know just a little bit. Um, but for management...
0: Was that at the same time, we actually deep dive into optimization and increase that number like tenfold uh, for you guys.
1: We, we sent, in fact, if I go dig out my tickets to Microtech support at the time, we sent several tickets in because we were hitting thresholds. And I think we got some guidance on, it was open VPN. I was
0: on receiving end on that tickets at that point in time. So I was replying <laughs> to you guys.
1: And, <laughs> and we were, and, and I think that's where we first started talking a lot because we were trying to get it as high as it could go. And I think we finally settled on 10,000 sessions um, for a CCR 1036 8G2S plus, that was the, that was the yeah. limit. Um, but we ended up building a solution that uh, I think they they had quoted it out from another vendor, another vendor's firewalls, and it was going to cost um, I don't know a million dollars, a million US to get enough firewalls to do 100,000 VPN connections. And I think we did it for. Uh, in fact, the the ticks were the most least expensive part. We had to get load balancers from another company um, to do genuine load balancers to load balance to the ticks and we put it together for I don't know 40 or 50,000. U.S. and that was what got us started in in doing that kind of work. But that was you know that was a pretty big win for us in the CCR one thousand series, and it was one of the first things that we were able to show that the CCR one thousand series you know could be used for a publicly traded company, could be used in a big stable environment um, in a multi billion dollar company. And so, yes, one part of me is be very sad to see the CCR one thousand series start to go away now that Tolera chips are are no longer being made um but at the same time i think you know it it had a really good run i know they'll be around for a long time they'll still be uh you know around as Microtech likes to support things as best they can for a very long time um but the the opportunities that are available in the CCR 2K series are very exciting to me so i i won't get rid of my CCR 1000s they're all still here in the lab they'll as long as they're still power up i'll uh I'll still, uh, I'll still have them, but no, I'm, I'm very excited for the CCR 2K series. So it's, um, it, it's sad, but it's not that sad.
0: Fair enough. So, um, let's talk about a little bit uh, about potential futures. So, hardware-wise, what would you like to see come from Microtech in the future? What's missing?
1: I think the 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 biggest thing that I would I would like to see, and obviously I'm looking at this from the perspective of someone that does a lot of routing and switching. I spent a lot of time on peering into the global table with BGP in IPv4 and IPv6. And so whether it's an enterprise or a data center or an ISP, uh, there are a lot of people that use Microtech routers for BGP peering and transit. And the CCR2K series was uh, the 2216 and 2116 were great they really paved the way for a, a whole bunch of things that we could do. But the one thing I would like to see in later CCR 2K series, um, because I know Marvel has the hardware chip to support it, is being able to support full tables in hardware. So being able to support maybe a couple million routes in, in hardware um, and then only using the CPU for the control plane, that's definitely big on my wish list. Um, being able to do multiple 100 gig ports. Um, if I, you know, getting a, a device that could do um, you know, 8 by 100 gig, 16 by 100 gig, 32 by 100 gig um, would be fantastic to be able to use as a core switch or core router uh, again with having a you know the Marvel ASIC. Um, I, I, that's one of my favorite things that the choices that Microtik has made in recent years is the pairing with Marvel, Pristera, line and the ASics that have gone into them because it's opened up a world of, of options. So
0: I have, a one, I have one question. In 100 gig uh, world, eight ports, 16 ports, 32 ports. How does router differs from switch?
1: How does a router differ from a switch in the- in as one, as,
0: Yeah, as far as from 100 gig ports and so on. So this, uh, as far uh, as fast as those speeds become, that concept of router and switch is coming more blurrier. So-, so. It
1: is. So I'll give you my traditional definition of router versus switch, because my, my traditional definition, has always been that the packet rewrite is slightly different. The way that you rewrite the header is slightly different. So when it's in a CPU, and you're you're you know rewriting the header as part of a CPU flow, obviously there are you know performance challenges when you send it into the CPU uh, uh, chain and the flow chain. You know even if you're using fast path and things like that, um, it's still a slightly different type of header rewrite than if you're going into an ASIC and you're going to put it into an ASIC. Um, then there's there's a slightly different uh, way the header is rewritten in the ASIC. And I'm not a hardware engineer. This is I've talked to a lot of other smart people that have explained this to me. And that's my basic understanding of the difference is there's a slightly different way that the hardware deals with the packet rewrite yeah, to forward yeah, the packet. But,
0: uh, now, let's imagine situation because uh, if you have 100 gig ports, you will have some kind of switch chip yes. That's that's set in stone. You cannot have it differently. Yes. But uh, there are switch ships with ten k uh, entry offloading, there's switch with one hundred k offloading, and there's switch with uh, one million k offloading. So what happens is that uh, when you hit any of those limits, you have to go to the CPU because other option is just to drop them, which yep. is which n- <laughs> would be not good if random we would start randomly drop connections. I've been there.
1: I've done that. It's not good. It's not fun.
0: (laughs) So the question is, where is the switch ending? And at what hardware offloading number does you consider it as a switch? Or uh, at what number it's it's a router? So it's different for every person?
1: Yeah, I, I would say, so typically, where I see the difference between a switch, here's where I see the difference between a switch and a router. Part of it is the route count. So part of it is the ability to put multiple routes in hardware. So certainly if you're going to do a million or 2 million routes, then you're really into more of a, of a router in, in the way that somebody would sell that and make that a product. Um, even though it's, it is layer 3 switching. It, it absolutely is layer 3 switching and it's all in hardware. But most people would classify that as a, as a router, um, even though it's, you know, it is switching. Um, but where you really get the difference between a switch and a router and, and still using the hardware is when you get into things like buffering and encapsulation and decapsulation of services like uh, VPLS um, and VXLAN. And then those things is the termination of of services and the end cap decap is like a PE role is really where you see that as more of a router because in a switch, usually all you're concerned about are VLANs, VLANs and layer three forwarding. Um, and that's where I see that end is you may have routing protocols, um, you may have BGP, you may have OSPF, you may have VLANs, and you may be doing all the things that you would do in switching. But it's those services, the termination and encapsulation and decapsulation of services like and uh, even you know PPPoE, um, which I think is you know mostly going to be in CPU. That's where I see it to be more of a router. If the if the box is set up to be able to do buffering, shaping, subscriber services, subscriber management, end cap, decap of of uh of user services like VPLS and DXLan, that to me is more of a router than a uh, than a switch, if that helps.
0: Uh, not really, because because um, <laughs> why am I so interested in your opinion about this? Because uh, as you probably know, I think I, think I told you already, I'm uh, one of the guys, one of the main guys who are responsible for that strange naming of our products that we have which has divided lots of people and somebody really like our descriptive naming that explains everything about, okay, not everything, main things about the product.
1: I finally figured it out by the way, the way you guys name products. It took me 10 years, but I did figure it out.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I thought I made it obvious, but okay. No, Uh, I found the
1: page finally. I I found that page (laughs) a long time ago that explains it.
0: So I currently have a few products coming in the pipelines that I don't know how to call them. Okay. CCR or CRS? Because uh, what is the factor that really uh, distinguishes it? So first you said that it uh, might be amount of hardware offloading entries that have to go to the CPU or not. Maybe it's a CPU power that you have at your disposal.
1: That's fair. I would put that in there. The higher, If you have a much higher end CPU, that's more of a router. If you have a lower end CPU, that's more of, that's more of a switch. I would agree with so,
0: that. Okay, so if we take CCR two thousand sixteen, let's say with a higher speed, higher tier ports, is it CCR or is it CRS? From your opinion,
1: for which one? For which platform?
0: Well, let's say CCR two two one six, the same CPU. That one is a router. To, is is definitely a router to me. Even if it comes with a much powerful switch and much faster.
1: Yes, and because if you look at if you look at uh, what most of the networking industry is doing, there are there are very few routers that are that are pure CPU or even rely on the CPU anymore. I think even though it's called a router, most other vendors that we that we will put in and that we work with, it's all Harbor accelerated. So I think you know when I first started in the 90s, it was if it uses a CPU, it's a router; if it uses a chip, it's a switch. You know that's the way it was in the 90s. But now I think most everyone considers. A, a router, to uh, every router, to have some kind of hardware offload for the most part. So I think that's very much assumed in 2023. So if you look at the way Microtech builds routers and switches and products, then I think the higher-end CPU is going to go towards a router and a lower-end CPU like uh, um, you know the CRS500 series you just released that has, I think yeah, it's yeah. a MIPS, right? It's got a MIPS processor, if I remember. There right. is
0: a few MIPS just because we wanted yeah. to target special power envelope. Uh, for those so you can deploy them uh, also in different places because as soon as you stick some kind of uh, CCR type of CPU there the power consumption just raises and <clears throat> you are limited to the rack mount basically.
1: I, I think it's you know I would call it a layer 3 switch versus a router because the being able to use very you know basic layer 3 switching capabilities even with the MIPS CPU is very helpful if you only need to do a few routes.
0: Yeah but that's where our naming of CRS, which is cloud router, switch, <laughs> comes really handy. So what device actually to name CCR from now on? Like cloud core router. That's a, that's a thought to think about. I,
1: I think so. I'll think, uh, do, you wanna, uh, do you want some help re- renaming the acronyms and keep the CCR and CRS? Or?
0: <laughs> no, I'm just thinking loud. And I think it's a fun topic to talk with you because you guys are utilizing both things a lot. So maybe you had some, you you gave me some input to think about, so thank you for that. Okay, and if we like fly away from the rack mount world of hardware and land somewhere at home, small office, home, maybe some Wi-Fi equipment, so... What's missing? What are you looking for? What, what could be introduced?
1: I, so I think you guys already have this, but I don't know that it's in the AX series. Um, Being able to have like an in wall AP is great. And I think there already is an in wall AP or one that could be in wall, but it's um,
0: wall socket. You mean?
1: Yeah. Like in a, like if you're going to put it in a, in a, in a, inside of a wall, like if you're going to cut a space out and put it into a, a wall, whether it's a, whether it's a power socket or just uh, mounting it um, on the wall, those are, those are helpful um, in the AX series. Um, I think having taking the RB 5000 series and whatever that's going to turn into and being building an all in one, you know, uh, you know, wireless router, uh, and gateway would be, w- would be great. Um, I'd like to see, um, I'd love to see the audience, um, in an AX form factor. Um, I, I like the look of the audience. I think it's great. I'd love to see it come in different colors, maybe black, you know, the black that you're doing, see an audience in uh, maybe black with AX uh, AX capabilities. I think the the meshing capabilities of of that's great. Um, maybe even um, you know uh, maybe some different bands. I think uh, I don't know if you guys have gotten into six gigahertz and things like that. I'd love to see Wi Fi six E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Wi Fi six E would be would be great. I know you guys have all the different countries uh, um, compliance to go to go through to go do all that. Um, uh, those would, those would be great. Um, I'm trying to think of the other things that I would that I would love to see in in Wi-Fi. I think most of the Wi-Fi, you already have most of the form factors of Wi-Fi that are out there. Um, I would love to see, I don't even know if it's possible, but a map light, if it was possible to do a map light in AX or something, or maybe even a map in AX, that would be. That's one of my most favorite routers. We I use them all the time. I keep them in my backpack. I found one in my car when I was going through the car wash. <laughs> I was clear, I was vacuuming out my seat and I found a map light under the seat in my truck. Um cuz that's how many of them I have hanging around. So yeah, that's I don't know how possible it is to put AX uh you know into the map light or the map, but those would be very cool.
0: Well, one thing for sure, there will be hotter versions of of map lights and so on if it's even possible. <clears throat> so I'm not hardware designer uh... Myself, I have early exposure to designs and uh, I also give some feedback of ideas that are implemented or maybe something that uh, customers reported and should be changed uh, like from revision to revision or, or in the new product that we are. So basically if we are designing new, let's assume PoE switch, what are the usual complaints about previous PoE switch? So, and uh, my department uh, usually collects all the hardware uh, complaints, like that. So I'm
1: gonna give you well. So since you mentioned PoE, I'm going to give you one hardware <laughs> wish list that is probably for. It's gonna be for home, but I think it's gonna be for the Wisps as well. Is having a switch that can support the you know the highest B- wattage per port. BT is BT, yeah, the BT. Having a switch that's BT from Microtech. And, um, especially one that can, that can handle different voltages within the switch. Cause I know for memory serves, Microtech usually passes through whatever the input voltage is, but having a switch that can handle either voltage, uh, you know, 24 or 48, um, for home and for, uh, uh, for home and for wireless ISPs, um, you know, having more POE power and more ports that can do that is probably one of the single biggest asks I, I think that we see in, um, and not just home, but if you think about small business, um, you know small business and SME small medium enterprise that they tend to use the same things that home users do and i think having a powerful series of poe switches that go into the bt standard and have the ability to mix voltages would be fantastic i think i would probably if coming on your podcast and not mentioning that poe all the wisps would probably um you know would probably come after me and beat me with sticks if i don't mention that
0: okay i can i can dig you in a bigger hole so how many ports and who, who, how many of them high power how many low power what would be optimal
1: i you know i'm going to say that i think that i would say you're probably going to have you're probably going to want to see maybe three different um probably different three different types of port setups i think you're probably going to want to have one that's you know four or five or six ports uh one that's maybe 12 and one that's maybe that's 24 because not everybody is, you know, that's BT is going to be obviously more money for you to produce. There's more more power that's required. The components are more expensive. So I think you're going to see people um, if you have a product series that covers those different port varieties. I mean, obviously it'd be nice to have a 48 port BT switch. I think that'd be great too. But it, I don't know how hard it is to maintain the different port variations. So I think having uh, you can always stack, you know, put two 24 port switches together. Um, and connect those together so don't be wrong I'd love to see the higher port density but I think having more pricing options um is is great of being able to do smaller to you know to 24 ports something like that um so that would be my that would be my take is i would I would have three different port setups of uh you know four to five to six 12 and 24 and then uh you know 48 if it's possible if it's possible to make but it
0: all be all like high power or some I combination. would say.
1: I would say yes. In general, most, uh, I think it's fine to mix a few, uh, to mix a few low power ports in there. But, um, for the most part, you know, people are always wanting to get more, you know, more power out of POE. People are, I mean, people are doing, we've done lights. We had a huge POE lighting project that somebody wanted because they, um, wanted the ability, they wanted the control over the lights and the reduced simplification of wiring. So that was very, very, very attractive to them. So I think, as you build these things, as often happens with Microtik, you're thinking about home users or ISP users or data center users, but we find them in um, you know some of, some of the places that you would never uh, think of, like power companies and at a at a you know at a concert hall and you know places that uh, you wouldn't normally think to find it. But uh, so I think having a mix is having a mix is important. Um, but I think usually, if you're going to go through the the time and trouble to buy a BT switch. I think most people are going to want the majority of ports to be, be have every all the power they can get on every port.
0: So I can reveal that we already have a dedicated letter in the naming scheme for BT ports. Oh, cool. Okay. So okay. It, it's, B. it's B.
1: It's B. Okay.
0: Yeah. So if you will see, see a CRS with the, instead of like 24P, uh, 24B, that you n- will know that it's... A, BT PoE switch, for example. Not saying that that's the exact model that we are working on, but just an example. So there's lots of uh, new hardware, new ideas uh, that we work on MicroTik. Uh, BT is definitely one of them. We have several projects. Uh, Which one will uh, will make sense uh, to produce? Or (laughs) last few years, we have to say that we can actually produce. (laughs) <laughs> Which is very problematic. Uh, like, uh, like COVID was uh, less problematic than uh, like part shortage that followed the COVID yeah. epidemic. because uh, yeah, one of the reasons uh, why we still don't have uh, any mums, because it's uh, it's much more better for us to actually work here and try to produce enough equipment so we can. Uh, get all the demand done uh, than to just drive around the mumps and basically delaying everything even further. Yeah. So that's the reality currently on. But yeah, uh, we have several BT uh, switches and home user equipment in development. But I honestly don't know which ones will actually make financial sense. And which ones we in the end we will be ac- will be actually be able to produce, because things that parts that you can get uh, or can't get changes every time. We have uh, like we already have a dedicated team here that works only with critical parts. That means that uh, following which ones are we are seeing that are running out, and uh, what can we use instead, and sometimes we need to redesign the whole product. Like uh, one of the examples which were m- most painful was actually ccr Uh If you noticed, uh, if you received one of the first few thousand modules, you saw that in the front panel, there's a cutout for USB, which is <laughs> yeah. sticked over. It was just because we were not able to get uh, USB chips because they were canceled. Like end of life.
1: I think I've heard that story because I didn't know why the sticker was over it at first, and then I, I had somewhere I heard that story that it was it was a part. Show. So we had
0: basically a decision to make, either to produce uh, you no, know, because one of the things that's uh, taking the longest to order is a PCB, especially a big one. So you have to do it in weeks, like months, before you actually uh, get, get, get the product running. So PCB set. Second thing is all the tooling and everything for the cases. And when it's already started and everything, then you can possibly buy parts cause it's only shipping question. And then you find out that those parts that you'd need crucially for that feature are not available.
1: Oh, I can only so, imagine that's, <laughs> it's been an interesting <laughs> past few years for, for hardware and supply. Hasn't it?
0: Yes, because, uh, uh, we have like uh, quadrupled the amount of testing with the reduced number of products because we are testing all the alternatives and uh, all the different suppliers and everything just to make sure. And logistics is is, is much more harder in this case. So uh, that's the reason why you sometimes see some strange uh, things like hole for USB but no USB in it, and so yeah. on. And then we will try the next production to add that usb and then find out that maybe that's not possible again and so on so uh, there's few things that really uh, like re- hit us really hard <laughs> in, in these past few years but the uh, good thing is that we are already like uh, seeing that the parts that somebody told us that we will have like 50 week lead time Suddenly, you can get them next week. So, but I th- I take that that a shortage uh, part shortage is going to the end, and we will try to produce enough uh, equipment to get to you guys. Because most complaints that we get to support right now is that you guys cannot buy our equipment in amounts that they want. So yeah, that, that's, that's
1: not a unique problem to MicroTech. I think that's everybody. In fact, I, I'll say. We work with a lot of different vendors. I think you guys have probably done the best over of anybody that I've worked with over the entire uh the, the pandemic and you know all, all of the other things that are going on in the world. Um I, I would say, I mean, certainly I know MicroTik's had parts shortages and things that you couldn't get and things that were out of stock. But if I look at, you know, um, usually with MicroTik when it's been replenishing, it's usually been a you know matter of weeks or months. Um we have some vendors that are, it's years. They're, we had one that was projected uh, two and a half years that they were waiting to get a router. So it, it's really, really bad in a lot of other uh, vendors because they their supply chains were not hand, They were not built to handle this kind of extended supply shortage because they had very complicated manufacturing processes where the orders were fulfilled when the customer would order it and not stocking it on the shelves. Yeah. But I, I would say overall, Microtik has been probably... I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. I think they've been the best network vendor that we've worked with for the time in time it takes to get a product uh, during the shortage. I think it's been the quickest of any any vendor that we've worked with throughout the consistently for the last two or three years.
0: Thank you, thank you. It's nice to hear because uh, there's lots of people working uh, working overtimes to get the products running and get to get the, all the system running and get the products out as fast as possible.
1: Yeah. And, and I always, so that, so that, you know, the people that always tell me like, Oh, Microtech doesn't have this. They're not going to have this for two months. I said, you need to go talk to another vendor and they're going to give you a quote of two years. So two months is nothing. It's, it's a lot worse in and in, in most everything else in networking. So I think you, given the situation that you had to deal with, I think you guys did a good job.
0: But we are also in that um, und- undefinated space between, whereas we are somewhere between an industry and the, a- home user and home users want to get everything now. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's where all the pains uh, are happening. So if they decided to have a micro tick and you say that it will take two months, they will just get something else that they can get your hands on. OK, so uh, you have a unique opportunity now. Oh, great. To, to ask difficult questions. Uh, that you wanted to ask or find out something about uh, critics, So uh, I I can say you that uh, this video will be edited. So even if I tell you some secret information, we'll just cut it out afterwards. So
1: (laughs) so I will I will start with the one that I've been talking about for years and years and years, which is when when will we see eVPN in BGP? and uh, EVPN and um, SR MPLS segment routing, um, and ISIS, uh, routing protocol. Those are the three things that I think if you ever go read my posts in the forum, those are the three things I've been asking for for three or four years. And I think it's important to, to mention why why I'm asking that is that almost every ISP in the world, all of the large ISPs have already made the change to these protocols. Um, They don't use LDP really as much anymore for MPLS. Um, They've moved to segment routing. And most of the larger ISPs have moved to ISIS instead of OSPF. Um, And so as we've seen this big change in trying to make the protocols that the enterprises use and the service providers use closer, um, enterprises are using EVPN and BGP with VXLAN mostly. Service providers are using EVPN... With BGP and they use SRMPLS as the data plane instead of VXLAN, and so the whole world is kind of going that way. And so I'd love to be able to to have those those features in a tick And I'll go even one step further for you, of um, just to round out the routing protocols of EIGRP, only because it it allows us to to integrate. You know, if you're in a network that's Cisco only, you know, since EIGRP is mostly a, a Cisco protocol. There are a lot of networks that are built since they've been around for so long that people um, want to be able to put a microtech router in, but they don't want to have to redistribute into OSPF or do static routes. They want to use native EIGRP. So there's a ton of networks that um, we could that we could get into, and a ton of problems that we could solve with those those routing protocols. And so that that's my biggest wish list. I have others, but that's my biggest question. Okay,
0: is, uh, your wish list just uh, misses one thing. What is it? Was it missing? priority list, what is the first that you need?
1: What is the first one? So the, I'm going to go ahead and be realistic. I think EVPN is the first one that I would like to see only because I think it's going to be the easiest to implement and not to say that it's easy, but you already have BGP. It's, you know, that's adding an address family to BGP and extending your current BGP implementation. So if I were to do it in the list of priority, I would want um, EVPN first. Um, Then I think it would make sense. Uh, to add ISIS just as a as an IGP. Um, and then uh, um, well no I take that back. I'm gonna change my order of my list. You already have <laughs> OSPF. As much as I'd like to see ISIS, I think I'd rather see segment routing with OSPF second, then ISIS, and then the others, because I think EVPN can be used with VXLAN, which you already have. MicroTix already added VXLAN into the uh, you know into there, and it's not been as easy to interrupt VXLAN into other vendors because it's missing EVPN and most other vendors use EVPN so i think that's that's my biggest priority is having that first and then the others and then EIGRP would be my would be my last but having all those protocols together i think would round out the routing stack of microtik where we could do uh, you know almost anything with it um you know with some very modern protocols and standards so that's my that's my first wish list how many how many wish lists do you want me to give you
0: no no that's that was uh, like year or a little bit more worth of work a wish lists already for our uh, routing uh, development team so uh, almost all the things that you called out is is in the our to-do list in different priorities so thank you for ordering them for 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 us we'll see how this this your opinion will affect uh, the order in the future i'm not saying it will but uh, i'm definitely showing this part of the video to our developers okay <laughs> but uh, uh, as far as i i know and just a notice that the last few years i'm not software guy anymore i'm uh, all, all hands mr. Hardware, mr hardware guy yeah as i told you in our christmas video i'm the evil elf that delays all the products so uh but as far as i know that currently the priority one for our uh, routing development team is to get all the features on par with version 6. there's still some things missing you probably can call them out better than i
1: do i i'll go ahead and mention one that i know everybody has been dying for which is bfd yeah and and that one i i don't know how a lot of people think bfd is very simple to implement because the protocol itself does a very simple task but I know from my experience in the CCR one case series, it was there was a few years, I think before uh, BFD got stabilized on OSPF. There was I don't know what the challenge was specifically, but I know it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. and i I also mentioned on the forums, I see other vendors um, you know, have bugs and issues with BFD. So even though it seems very, very simple, you know, I guess maybe I don't know if it's because of the high rate of packets, um, and the ability to quickly transition that to the routing protocol to, to very quickly converge, if that's a challenge. But that, that's one that people have been dying to have is, is BFD.
0: So, yeah. Uh, basically, that's the highest priority currently. So idea is to get rid of version 6 uh, necessity at all. So we can move on only to version 7. Sure. And then comes uh, some stuff that you mentioned on the list. Okay. So, but awesome. I'm not saying we are working on it. They are definitely working, keeping those features in mind. No, there's a, when you create the whole new routing system, you actually have to like plan the structure for everything. So that's why initial phase of that process is uh, taking much more longer. <clears throat> and now, in the end, when you have the running engine which considers all the stuff, you just plug the features in, one by one, and it's much more easier. That's actually why the rotor Russian version 7 took so long, mainly because of that new routing engine that we made. And as far as I know, it's, it's, uh, there's only a few things that we needed to add, like patching, <laughs> everything was taken uh, quite uh, planned, quite accordingly to the necessity. Okay anything else you want to ask
1: let me see what have been my other my my other questions um I think the other uh wow I was I'm so wrapped up in routing I haven't thought about any we well we already talked about full so we already talked earlier in the video about full tables uh in hardware so that was going to be my other one is there I know Marvel has a chip for that is that is that something that is that is coming is that something that since you're, you're Mr. Harbor guy, has that made it on your test bench yet?
0: Oh, uh, I cannot answer that question directly, but we have a very good uh, relationship with Marvel. Uh, they have really interesting toys that they can offer us. And usually when they come uh, up with something new, uh, they even call us and do you want to get this and play with it? And it's rarely then we say no. I can say that so. Uh I don't know what chip particular are you talking about, but uh we have some new developments in Mar- regards to the Marvel chip series, definitely.
1: And some other series also. Okay, that's great. Um let me th- think of my other I'm though that I'm, the the full tables and hardware I'm very excited about. So we'll see if that actually if that actually comes about. My I I I'm thinking about my other questions that I want to ask in in hardware, so I'll I'll say this. I'll get out of. Uh, well, I'll ask you one more routing and switching question, and then I'll move <laughs> on to some other products in the wireless in the wireless realm. So my other question in hardware has been: Have you ever considered uh, building a chassis with line cards? Is that something that you've that you've thought what, about?
0: What do you mean line cards? Uh, uh,
1: so like in if you think of the where you have a box that is uh, that holds the network uh, cards, the the interfaces. So you have a box that has slots and you put the cards with the ports in on a rail into the, into the slot. Um, like the, um, I think the most common example are like the big, the big switches that take up a half a rack that you slide the cards into, that you slide the ports into. Um, I don't know if that's, is there going to be a router that's more than one RU or a switch that's more than one RU that would be like two or three RU that you could have modules that you would, you would change out for ports.
0: Um, we already have uh, products, by the way, that that are moduled. No, no, maybe maybe now you have not realized, but our PoE switches are actually moduled ones. They have PoE daughter boards on them. So if you take those boards off, it becomes a regular switch without PoE. So we have played with that idea. We have already implemented it. But the fact is that making something very moduled and very expensive and so on, it actually makes it much more expensive and uh, one of the things that MicroTik uh, like uh, one of the cornerstones that everyone knows MicroTik is is to offer new solutions uh, like tiered down price range so for example our 504 switch uh, four port 100 gig switch there's nobody even close price-wise that offers 100 gig switching that no, port- no,
1: it's not even close. We we use them for we use them for breakout switches on border routers. <laughs> even with other with other vendors, we use them. They when we need to break out hundred gig ports, we use the five hundred fours for that. Yeah,
0: so that's basically. So it makes it uh, more
1: m- making it modular makes it more expensive, which makes it tough. It's
0: make make it as expensive as other vendors, where they can basically just uh, squeeze us out with the market share. Sure,
1: that makes sense. Okay.
0: So we are not aiming to that. I'm not saying that 100 percently no, because there is some modularity will be in uh, future products, but uh, going full scale like you already implemented, because I already, I think, know some Cisco devices that have that because we first had to buy chassis and then we had to pollute it with uh, uh, plates uh, like for $10,000 each or something like that.
1: They're very expensive, yes. (laughs) And they use so, a lot yeah. of power too. They they're not very power efficient either.
0: And the problem is they are very loud, because uh, yep. in Microtech here we are working in a open office environment.
1: Yes, and I in hear... fact that's why I, I use Microtech at home because it's not loud. I won't I will I will be, <laughs> it, it won't make anybody uh, anybody upset because it's not not too loud. But now imagine
0: twenty or 40, forty two two one sixes going on on full load. On some far corner. That would, that would be, corner, be louder <laughs> for sure or the or the via or the routing testing with all the Cisco equipment rack when it I know logo. how
1: loud that is cuz we 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 <laughs> we just did a we did a routing test for another vendor and we used MikroTik uh we actually use CHRs uh, in that case but I I have uh pushed the 2216s and and the 2116s and all the others in tests with uh throughput and routing and it gets very loud in the lab now cuz we have a lot of them so but it's uh Okay. So let me, so I have, I have wireless questions now. So here my, here are my wireless, my wireless questions is there's obviously Microtech's done a lot in 60 gigahertz and there's a lot of things that have come out in, in 60 gigahertz. Now, um, in, in the U S and I think we're even seeing this happening in other countries is we're having variant variations of LTE. Um, in the U S it's called CBRS, um, and and having having equipment for those kind of solutions um, where you have variants of LTE now I know already has a few LTE products are there going to be more where we have an E-Node B or a base station and a you know a UE or a client radio in the family of LTE and 5G will well, more more solutions like that coming
0: there's definitely more solutions in LTE and high speed uh, ultra band, or how you call it, 60 gigahertz. Yeah. We are definitely working on them. I'm not familiar with that LTE solution that you talked with, but uh, there are several vendors, modern producers, that we are actually working on very exciting products. Uh, if they will offer us some kind of solution that covers that in a normal price range, uh, I say that would be quite easy, actually, to implement because we have all the parts already ready. So having a new modem uh, by product and getting the product done, I think we already learned a lot of uh, different interesting things from our previous products because the first one was the hardest one and uh, uh, our LTE product line actually came very good time is basically we expanded enormously during the COVID, just because work from home just became suddenly the thing, the whole world started to work from home and everyone needed a LTE modem. Oh, absolutely. We built, we built a lot of
1: ISPs in the last few years because of that. LTE
0: products went uh, far and wide and we actually had to make a like separate uh, team in testing. Like separate it from wireless because usually we had just the wireless guys and they did everything from 5g 2g lte 60 gigahertz LoRa, and everything and we now had to separate lte guys into separate department because the actual amount of work that they have now <laughs> is more than uh, other wi-fis combined oh okay. i could imagine <laughs> so
1: okay and, uh, so let me ask this question then now that you're you're starting to separate out into different uh in, into different departments, I have I have a couple questions. The so point to point radios. Um, I I can't remember the highest speed that Microtech has right now, but I think it's two gig for point to point, something like that, if I remember right. Yeah. Is there are there any plans for ten gig? Uh, point yes, to point. Yes. Okay, great. That one was easy. So i think that would be that would be great to see 10 gig point to point radios would be would be fantastic to see that would help out um
0: i can maybe i can maybe maybe even tell you the secret uh yeah because it's already passed but uh if you take a look at your 5009 if you open it up and take a look there there's a place for 60 gigahertz chip there
1: okay cool
0: which unfortunately didn't come to the reality it you know, basically didn't work as we expected. So we had to move that to the different product. Okay. okay. So, but we played with it and it was nice, but it was not customer ready. Okay. The so 10 gig
1: right. point to point is getting, that's a thing that's happening.
0: I'm not yeah. sure about uh, getting full 10 gigs, but it will be definitely more than two. Because, and you will have SFPs uh, on other. About, SFP uh, plus ports. Yeah, but uh, it's in development, and in development, that means anything from half a year to two years. Okay. So, but yeah, we already have some ideas how to implement that. We were wrong. We learned from our mistakes. We moved to other iterations. But 5009 came out as a nice product anyway, even without that feature, because it was like universal all in one, but some features of that didn't work
1: and it looks cool which is the most important thing. Um yeah. so okay so I, my other questions are um in the uh so in the RF space I think I've already seen that uh, there's AX uh wireless for home users home and home and office and small business but I think I saw where um using uh AX out for wireless ISPs in wireless broadband uh is also in the works is what I read.
0: Yeah the, if you actually watch the first episode uh, the both trainers Ron, was really interested in outdoor product lineup and so on. So, uh, yeah, uh, if you noticed, AX uses completely different new wireless uh, package, and there is uh, basically adoption period that we need to get all the features running because home users don't utilize all the features that out- outdoor stuff uses. So it's better to get, uh, like, everything on proper order on for the home user when there's no complaint and everything is working as expected and so on. It's working really well, but uh, there are few features and uh, few things. Like, for example, we opened up only the full spectrum of 5 GHz only recently for certification point of view on AX products and so on. So, it's getting there and as soon as we will get that smoothed out I think the hardware new hardware for outside deployment will slowly come come in one by one so that's that's currently the plan Uh, about form factors probably will stick to ones that are popular right now if we can manage the heat dissipation because AX like hardest stuff currently is to get everything in the same form factor and keep it cool enough.
1: That, that, that's why my, my, this one's a lot heavier and has more heat sink on it, right? My AX2.
0: Yeah, if you have an AC2, uh, by the way, you can like easily compare uh, the amount of heat that's dissipating from one and from other. And like, uh, people are uh, not realizing that adding a simple USB port Basically, it turns out it's five watts more power from which better portion is getting as a heat out. Wow. So, one of the reasons why that device that you have over there there doesn't have USB port, but the a- AX3 Cubed have one, because it's bigger uh, chassis, bigger heatsink, and it can dissipate that. Okay, that makes sense. And. Uh, that that's to, that's with many features basically uh, why that I can answer why this device have only this set. This device also has a downclocked CPU to minimum uh, megahertz just because to keep it cool in this form factor.
1: So now we need we need videos with uh, water water cooled ax two and overclocked uh, ax two with the LED lights.
0: Uh, I think we have few customers that have sent it. i seen something like that uh marketing will probably post it if it's good enough that looks like but a really yeah, good but... job
1: for victors if you gave victors the 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 the, the liquid cooled HAP ax 2 and you had the led lights and the liquid cooled that seems right up his alley
0: yes Victor's victors really found his niche uh, in here there is some video yeah there's some v- videos that uh, only victors can do
1: So do I have time for one more hardware, one more hardware question?
0: Oh, you are basically, you are saying when it's over, uh, when you have to go. So. Okay.
1: No, I'm good. So the other, um, the other question I have on hardware is, um, would be in think about fiber to the home. So years ago, I think there was a GPON SFP that came out uh, that allowed Microtech to be um, an ONT or I guess ONU, depending on the terminology. You mean
0: the module, the SFP module?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, so you guys already have that. What I haven't seen and I don't know if you've looked at developing it is the the unit that goes on the other side, the olt having the, the <laughs> having the rack mount unit that you know you can use the um you know, put a pawn port into or you know most in this case where a lot of people are getting into Xgs pawn with ten gig. um have you guys looked at that? Is that you know, is that possible for Microtik to produce? Are you interested in? in producing or developing that?
0: It's really hard market to get into, just because of getting hardware, uh, getting, getting everything necessary, because uh, basically s- most vendors just use their own chips and don't sell them anywhere. Yep. So it's, I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's uh, point of entry is much more uh, harder than, than, than the regular networking. So, uh, GPON idea is not lost to us because uh, of basically the share amount of features. Uh, initially, it was actually quite, quite interesting because uh, here in Eastern Europe we are not really into GPONs. Uh, but uh, slowly, uh, also all the networkings now, all the biggest ISPs, Offer fiber to home, one gig up and down, and GPON wise. <coughs> and um, also, we, you know that we are now, when the COVID uh, basically started, and uh, and uh, there was limitations for a Chinese equipment that you can use. <coughs> sorry, implemented. Uh, so you know, some companies were banned from usage in US and. Europe, uh, government companies, uh, big ISPs uh, basically came to us and asked us what equipment can we produce to replenish that. So, uh, you know, Chateau is our LTE solution to that and our local uh, mobile providers actually giving them out to the new customers for home usage. And also one of the biggest requests is G-Pon client and solution. Uh, so I think that gives you enough information that we are thinking about it at at, at very
1: least. <laughs> it w- it would be cool. I know you you always have to evaluate the cost and the like the cost and the ability to manufacture it, but I think that would be a I, I know I'm, I always ask the ISP questions because I do so much work on, on ISPs, but even in we see it in um I'll tell you where else it's used is in office buildings. So if you have really, really tall office buildings, uh, skyscrapers, you know, New York or London or, um, you know, Dubai or somewhere like that, what where they use it a lot is it's uh, Gpon makes it a lot easier um, to get fiber to all the different floors. And so they use them in skyscrapers a lot. In fact, I've seen that quite a bit um, in using it in very tall buildings um, because they can use the single mode and just um, uh, reduce the amount of cabling. So that'd be it'd be interesting uh, to see that. I'm trying to think of my other, if I have any other, uh, all my, all my, all my wishes or, you know, all my, my secret <laughs> things I want to ask Microtik. Um I think you already mentioned the mums, you know, a lot of people have asked about the mum, you know, when is the mum coming back? And I think you said, you know, you guys have got to focus on um, getting the supply the, chain the, more yeah, under control current, <laughs> and probably other, and other is, world events as well.
0: Yeah, the problem problem is that those people that you won't see in the mums are usually... Uh, Long year, high experience, Microtik guys that during the COVID took uh, separate departments on their own. So uh, sales, me in the hardware testing, Sergey's support. And if you want us all shipped to the mom, the company basically stops.
1: So yeah, because you guys have you've been through a lot of growth in the in the in the time that I've known Microtik, the 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 new head the new headquarters and. There are a lot of new faces, and I used to know most all the names at Microtech, but you guys have grown so much that, you know, there's lots of new names.
0: There's lots of new names, and uh, I can say you that even I don't know everyone in, at the Microtech now. So that's how, how we have grown uh, compared to the 10, 15 years ago, or even when I started 18 years ago, which is yeah. like a different lifetime already. But... Uh, so-
1: in thinking about that, are you ever thinking about opening offices uh, outside of Latvia? Uh,
0: current answer is no. Because uh, it uh, adds a complexity, uh, both in uh, like trade secrets and stuff and so on. And uh, we are still open office company. So the ideas are going wildly around and everyone has an input. And this this is what actually, how it results to have our products as we have them, the end result. It's not just a single person <coughs> working in a separate environment. OK, uh, working from home part, a little bit changed that. Uh, but uh, as soon as it was possible to get back in the office, uh, we tried to get uh, back in the office. Uh, some departments have like mandatory few days in the office for, uh, for those who got too to used to work from home but for example, my testing department, well, you can cannot take all the secret equipment back to the home and so on. So testing department is always in the office working uh, with all the fun parts and so on. So especially when somebody brings you a new chip on development board and you have to work like hand in hand with developer just to like run rotaries for the first time on it, which is quite exciting. And then reporting first, first bugs and so on that. This PCI Express line works at 2x instead of 4x and such things and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's quite exciting time. There's lots of developments and uh, also with all the growth that we have, uh, there's lots of management. And unfortunately, there's only few pers- people that uh, can uh, follow all the management stuff.
1: I I can appreciate that in running a in running a global company I can definitely <coughs> uh, mine's not as big as Microtik, but it's it's still when you're when you're spread out uh, in a lot of time zones I can definitely uh, I can appreciate that the management aspect. Yeah, of that.
0: so it's fun. There's many new products coming out. Uh, for one simple reason, there are many products actually finished up, and we are just getting ready to. Uh, to get the chance to produce them as soon as we get all the necessary parts Uh, so you have seen uh, that we already uh, leaked like in some videos information about products (laughs) that hasn't come out yet Uh, so yeah uh, for different reasons they the there is there is delays Uh, so new products are coming out uh, we are working on several really exciting products that will be game changers uh, at the particular market. Again, uh, one thing for sure, they will be like game changers in price. Maybe not feature set, but definitely in price. So I think we I will entertain you for quite a while. Also, rotors version 7 will become more interesting and interesting. By the way, that reminds me. What do you think about our newest
1: package? The, the oh you're Rose. talking about the enterprise storage, the rows? Yes. Yes. That so that was so I had a lot of people asking me about what that's what that's going to be used for. And and we we had a big discussion about that internally because I've started to use my 2116 more and more to host containers. And you know, I put the NVMe drive in it, but the ability to do things like NVMe. Um, you know, over TCP and having different raid levels was very, very interesting. I think that to me was, um I think it was great because the more um we can use services on the router, um, a lot of the systems people would probably disagree with me because a lot of the systems people are like, well, why wouldn't you just go get a server? But there's a lot of places that we can put a micro tick that it's not, uh, you know, that's not practical to go put a server. We can go put a. A microtech router whether it's a 5009 or it's a it's a 2116 so having the advanced storage options was i think it was really 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 cool because i um you know i'm continuing to use the the routers more as systems and and building systems on top of them so i i think that's great it's i've always found microtech has such a unique combination of features that um, people dream up things that you know you wouldn't Imagine. Um, I think I I told you the very first mom we went to, um, somebody had uh, they were doing whale watching. Um, that was how. That was the very first microtech project we ever did in Alaska. They had cameras and microtech wireless equipment, so they could watch the whales in Alaska. It was a university. They were doing it was research, and that was the very first exposure I had. And we had sent somebody to Alaska to go fix the um the one of the, one of the routers had lost its config and it just needed the config reapplied but we had to go put somebody on a helicopter to go fix the microtik and so the interesting thing to me is microtik gets used in some you know very you know in some very unique places i think you know you guys have put spacex you know has them on their near their launch pads and i think uh, racing the racing organizations have them in race cars we've seen them in mines we had a mine where somebody built instead of doing point-to-point wireless shots between towers, they did it down the shaft. Every turn of the shaft was a different point-to-point link. And so when you get in those kind of environments, um, especially industrial and utility, uh, um, utilities and industrial-type environments, that's where those kind of features of having those enterprise-type features of being able to do containers and storage options gets really handy because if you're at the bottom of a gold mine several hundred meters below the earth, it may not be the easiest place to go put a server and go rack a server, but I can put a microchip there and I can have an application run there. So that that that's why I think it's useful and it's 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 really helpful. I haven't even tested all the different features that you guys have had because my 2116 has been busy testing for customers in the lab. So I need to free it to test rows because I haven't even had a chance to, to test it.
0: Uh, sometimes developers surprise us also with the features that they come up with. <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, one of the things that's uh, for sure that uh, MicroTik has grown not only like logistic-wise, support-wise and so on. We also have much more developers than we have before. And uh, some people don't realize, like one of the meanest comments in that ROSE setup was don't waste time on storage, uh, finish up the routing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, uh, those are projects, those are separate projects and you cannot just add and remove people from this project. Like it takes months or even year to like get into the project and understand how it works and to then to write something. So those are guys, those are s- completely separate independent projects. People that working on one are not <laughs> interfering with another if it's not necessary, basically.
1: And it wasn't always that. I think a lot of people don't... I think people that don't work as closely as we do with MicroTik and go, you know, we don't go to the mums anymore, but we've worked really closely with MicroTik and know, you know, you know, pretty much all of your, you know, all of the the key people at MicroTik and have for a long time. I don't know that they realize, you know, you guys were a much closer team 10 years ago on development. Everybody kind of worked on, you know, a lot of different things. And now that you're bigger and you have the office, um, You know, a lot of software development changes have taken place in Microtik. You guys have a, you have different teams for different things, and it's not just you know everybody kind of helps with everything else. I mean, I know everybody had their specialty even in the old days, but there was a lot more uh, you know of you working on different things and crossing over. Whereas now you have routing team and switching team, and you know all the different teams for for development. That
0: that's a logical thing to do when you're becoming larger and larger. So that's we yeah. we tie into the Structure and management, <laughs> which, yes, is, exactly. which is uh, pain in one place, but you cannot do anything with them if you want to grow outside your small size and so on. Okay, so we are getting to the back end of the conversation. Let's talk about future. So what's uh, in
1: line in the future for IP architects? What's your future plans? So we, so we have a lot of future plans. I think we're going to keep Doing what we've doing, which is growing uh, to be an independent uh, to be an independent consulting company, um, because we work on well, although we work on microtech a lot, we work on a lot of uh, we work on white box, um, you know, we work on commodity white box switches uh, and things like that, and then open networking, working with open source uh, the network software like free range routing and and things like that. Um, so people come to us when they want to build a network that integrates those things. You know, we have somebody. It's very common for us to take. Um, a network that's uh, like an ISP, for example, and say, hey, I want these white box switches here and I want to use Microtech for these things and then I want to use open source software for these things. So building validated designs for that and, and, and being able to show that that can be done on a big scale is something that we're constantly working on. Um, so that's, that's our, our, you know, our growth plans. I, uh, I think we're going to continue to grow. Um, we already have people in Europe and South America, you know, we are probably going to keep growing around the world and adding engineers to the point where, um, you know, we can, we already do 24 seven work, but, you know, have a lot more capacity, um, to be, uh, you know, to do support for Mikrotik. We, you know, people, when they want phone support, they usually call IP architects to do, you know, some kind of phone support and helping with micro So we're going to definitely continue to do more of that. Um, but we've also gotten into some software. So I think that'll be, um, we uh, um, there'll be some open source projects that we're working on um, that we'll probably release. And then there's also, uh, I think, some other software stuff that we've been working on that we'll eventually release. That's all in the networking space. And uh, I think maybe in the next year or two, you might see that uh, come out of IP Architects is getting into the, the software side of, of networking as well. So that's what we've been working on. And I think validating um, that we can take commodity components like microtik and put them into the biggest networks um some of the biggest networks in the planet is is really important to us because being able to make networking accessible not just to you know countries that you know that that are financially very stable like the US and the European Union um you know when you look at the, the the north america and europe as continents but you know there's other places where it's harder to get internet to and the you know the local economy or the you know currency doesn't make it as easy you know as it is in some places so you know being able to to work in developing countries and to be able to big bring big solutions like 100 gig into uh you know places in Africa and Latin America that are still developing um you know there's some places over in Asia Pacific um that are you know developing areas of the world that um uh they they love using microtik because um, you know, it's it's harder for all economies to support that. And so I, one of the things I love about Microtech and I always tell people it sets Microtech apart is that, you know, Microtech's slogan is routing the world. And that's not just, you know, something that you guys say, you know, there's a lot of places in the world that the internet wouldn't exist if Microtech didn't exist because they wouldn't be able to put anything else in. So being able to to, um, to build a design out of those components and build something that, you know, works as well as a major vendor that can handle hundreds and hundreds of gigs is something that we're always working towards validating that design, so that a large company or a large ISP can use Microtech and commodity elements in those roles. Like the ISP I told you about in Africa, that we're we're getting set up to handle. It already handles a, a significant portion of the traffic for the entire country, um, and they're working to be the entire national telecom provider um, using uh, primarily Microtech uh, equipment to do it.
0: So, if I if you have to guess from your experience. Which is most microtech network
1: country in the world? Which is the most microtech network country in the world? I would say. Oh, let me think. Um there are several in uh I would say probably either the Philippines or South America. In those, in the Philippines or in South America, we've run into some networks that are entirely microtech. they have nothing but microtik in them um but i will say one of the largest i think that i've encountered that's all microtik is actually here in the us there's one network that i work on uh that is a wisp that has uh i think over 3000 towers now and um we wor- recently worked on an issue um in the routing i think it was last year and there were over 8000 routers in ospf that were microtik that were hardware, and then you yeah. will say it's it was in the same area. Uh, it was this was all in the same same in the U.S. No, I mean, you know, it's OSPF states. area. Well, no, we it started that way <laughs> in, in that area. Really, yeah. it started that way, and that didn't work very well. So we ended no. up designing it into um, multiple SPF areas with IBGP, and then the 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 different IBGP ASNs peer to each other with private ASNs. And then they go out to the ISP's big ASN. But no, we couldn't scale um which also <laughs> this is my this is my dig for ISIS to your developers. This is my if we can get okay, ISIS okay. in there. I can we can scale microtik uh, IGP domains much larger. So there's my that's my my note to the developers. Um but yeah, that's um but yeah, I think in the developing countries it's very common to see um all microtik. And in the US, in the Wisps, it's very common to see uh all microtik. But if I had to put it on one country or area i would say the philippines uh, i'm sorry not the philippines indonesia The philippines use it too but um i said philippines i meant indonesia indonesia is probably the most that is probably the place in the world that has the most microtik everywhere that i've seen there's so much microtik in, in indonesia it's it's not even funny they, they they use it everywhere so i think most of the country is connected with microtik
0: yes and uh, if you want to do something uh, in university you have to learn Mikrotik to pass the exam in networking in university. You have countrywide Olympics in networking using Mikrotik. And you can, in uh, when we were doing mums, it was uh, the first place is got the tickets to the mums for free. we even have like uh, if we drive to US, we are like one of the networking guys with you guys. So on the same level in Indonesia, when we arrive, it's more like we are celebrities because there's a <laughs> wall where you can take photos with us and so on. And yeah, and you actually Do they have a parade. Actually, uh, no, no, not yet parade, but I think uh, eventually if if the things continue that way, but it's completely different. Uh, like. Yeah, I would say it was a culture shock for us when we arrived the first time. Yeah, and uh, we were even translated on national TV some at some point. So that's how huge that's how huge we are in Indonesia and hello to Valens and his team. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting especially in developing world uh, part of the world we feel much more like uh, I, I would not say welcome but much more, uh, people are much more eager to see us <laughs> in, yeah. in, 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 in that part okay uh, so anything else that you want to ask or something I think we already one and a half hours
1: yeah we we've, we've we've had a long one no I think I'll, I think I've asked all my all, all my all my questions that i can think of i'm sure i left something out i'll tell you what i'll do a i'll do a video i'll record a video to to you guys if i forget if forget anything out and put it on youtube how's that if i, if I forgot anything
0: <laughs> okay <clears throat> uh then basically uh thank you guys for listening uh hope it was not boring for a second episode <clears throat> this was was much more technical uh, we will try to script uh, everything that Kevin said, uh, so that you can track all the abbreviations and everything that he mentioned in his text. Because <coughs> for the uh, uninitialized, it's hard to track. Even in the same sentence, there was like four or five abbreviations that <laughs> not everyone knew know exactly. But uh, yeah, this is the other uh, way we plan to do these podcasts. Uh, have some highly technical guys, get the feedback from them, utilize their feedback for our purposes also. But I th- hope that's interesting for you, other all other guys li- listening to it, uh, to get your ideas and you have a way to add your input to it. So please leave the comment. Did you like this episode better than the previous one? Leave the po- comment about the wish list that Kevin had. Which features do you think need to be implemented first, which hardware need to be added, and so on. And thank you very much, Kevin, for coming to this event.
1: Thank you for for having me. I appreciate it. And I said I was out of questions, but I'm gonna leave you with one more question. Does (laughs) RouterOS
0: version eight exist yet? Uh, that's the secret information. Sorry.
1: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The new unicorn. Goodbye.